0: You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey boys and girls, it's the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and you probably already know that unless you accidentally click the show. This is episode 94, and I am the Pimpcron. In case you were wondering, who is this gorgeous gentleman talking into my ear? Well, it is me. Unless you're on the bus and there is a really good looking homeless man talking in your ear, then it's probably him. But as far as I can tell from my vantage point, it's just me. I'm Pimpcron. This is my podcast. So, enough fiddle faddle. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we have a real talk with the Pimpcron, and we discuss how the old. Chapter-approved annual was the best thing ever, and they need to bring it back the way it used to be. Number two, we have the Tesseract mailbox. Mario has an interesting use for brutality. And then we have a Want That or Not digging into the archives of the older models, and we cover the Crutox Rider from Tau. And we talk about whether or not that still holds up, and whether it is a Want That or Want That Not. Now, what have I been up to? Hmm. What have I been up to? Well, I busted out the caradron overlords it's been since last fall that i got the umph to work on those again and i've been kind of flirting with them for a while again and um i've you know picked up the book and started looking at them because i have not played them since the new rulebook so uh if i played them last fall i probably use the old rulebook or i don't remember when the codex came out it's irrelevant point is i had never played it with the new rulebook I realize that this new codex allows me to live the dream and have all ships if I want to. So, gone are the days where the ships absolutely suck and you cannot take them as battle line. Because now I have options to bring my three gun gun haulers, Grunstock gun haulers, as battle line. And that excites me. Uh, I am painting those again. I've realized that all of my ships, I have my ironclad is 99% painted. I think there's a couple things I could probably touch up or finish painting. My frigate is about 90% painted. I've got some windows and whatnot, some odds and ends to paint. Then I've got one gun hauler, which is almost completely painted. I've got one gun hauler that's half assembled, and one gun hauler still on the sprue. So I've got a lot of work to do. But I've gotten the dwarf bug again, was bitten by the dwarf bug. Uh, This week I played a game with Josh and James of 40k, and we, uh, I played Tyranids and they teamed up Dark Eldar and Eldar and it was good. They were beating me the entire game. I thought I had them at the end of the game, but come to find out they still pulled it out. It was 16 to 13, I think is what they beat me, but it was a very fun game. And that was part of James and I's ongoing 40k campaign, which we started, and that's fun. So the Tyranids are slowly losing their grip on this planet. And this last battle, we had a webway portal that was up for grabs. It was an abandoned webway portal, and the Dark Eldar were able to grab it. So now they got an additional 40% of the planet instead of 20%. So that has been a lot of fun. Anyway, I believe that's about it for this week, so let's get on with the show! Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this Real Talk with the Pimcron, we have a letter from Mario. He writes... Hey, Pimkron, it's a me, Mario. Literally, my name is Mario. I just wanted to say that my group has been using your brutality rules for something unholy. I wanted to confess this to you so the almighty Kron can cleanse me of my sins. Your setting for brutality is fine and all, and I mean no disrespect, but me and my two friends have decided to use Heroclix to run brutality in a superhero setting. Think of City of Heroes kind of thing where powered people are running around everywhere. We have found your rule system to be really fun, and you can make pretty much any combination of heroes and villains with the rule set. I have heard the new edition is going to have more upgrades, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Anyway, I just wanted to throw it out to you that players don't have to use your setting if it doesn't suit them, but figured I should get your take on it. Still love the podcast, but kind of miss the Brutality segment. Bring it back for your man Mario, a.k.a. Steel Eagle of the Justice Union. So first off, Steel Eagle, that that sounds pretty cool. I like that name. And thank you, Mario, uh, for writing in. I'm curious, is your last name also Mario? That would be that would be something else. So obviously thank you for writing in Mario, and thank you for listening to the show. This came to me via Facebook at facebook.com slash Pimpcron. You can also write in at pimpcron at gmail.com. And To your effect, it's actually funny you say this about changing the setting of Brutality. Now, Brutality has, I'll say, 20 pages of lore, something like that, fleshing out all the factions and the setting and all of that, some of the history and whatnot. But I originally meant the whole Brutality system to be genre-neutral. And, I mean, essentially it is genre-neutral anyway because the whole Brutality setting is genre-neutral. But... What I mean is, have you heard of the D20 system? Or the, I think D6 system is also another system for RPGs. And there's a couple different systems floating around out there where any game can use this system and flavor it however they want, put out whatever skins they want on it or whatever. And originally, this was going to be the Brutal system. And that was what it was going to be. But the more I did some... I guess, market research or something like that. The more I did market research, I realized that people, it would never be as popular if it was just plainly a generic system for skirmish games. And it, a lot of people want some sort of direction. They want some sort of uh, setting. They, they want something to work with, you know. It's kind of like, I already give you so much creativity and so much leeway in this game as it is as far as creating your characters and your factions and your backstory and all of that. If I gave them nothing to work with whatsoever as far as a setting, then a lot of people would be turned off by it. Originally, there were no factions to this whole thing. Um, There was no um, Brutal Realm. There was no Ishtar. None of that in the early, early days. We're talking about... Uh, 2016, when I first started doing this, there was no brutality the way we know it. It was just a basic rule set for games. But like I said, I tried it out with some local gamers and a lot of them were like, okay, this is kind of cool, but what models can I use? And I say, you can use any models. And they go, well, what do you mean any models? Can I have a samurai fighting a robot? Yes, you can have a samurai fighting a robot well, I don't understand. Where is this fighting? And I'm like, do do you have to have a setting? Do do, do you have to be spoon-fed this? So uh, I ended up coming up with a setting and a reason why all the genres would be put together. And I always like that old sort of stuff, the mythology and the magic and all that nonsense. I have so many different books of all this sort of interesting weird fringe stuff and mythology is one of my favorite things it is just crazy what these characters have done these gods and whatnot so I figured I would come up with a system where it was set in a time and a place where anybody from any genre could join it and it had a reason why you kept coming back from the dead essentially I never liked it how in games, you know, you killed someone's HQ and then they're back the very next game. And you could say, oh, they're a nameless HQ, but what about when you bring Gilliman or something? It's always this named person, and he just died. He took a battle cannon to the face and exploded. And, oh, no, he's fine. It was just a, he uh had to use the bathroom, so he left the battlefield. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things that always bothered me, so... I guess what I'm trying to say is that what you're doing is exactly in the vein of what I originally t- intended, and I have talked it to one person before that actually used it for World War II, which I did not, I don't really remember exactly how they used that, but World War II Skirmish Gaming, and I guess like the, you know, ordinance upgrade would be a bazooka, et cetera, et cetera, but that was kind of cool. And uh, they basically made up their own like bolt action sort of thing with, you know, tanks being a monster or whatever. And they used it. That was uh, probably two years ago, something like that. And now you are telling me about a superhero game, which sounds pretty cool. Now, of course, you could have all superheroes and brutality if you wanted. But if that's not the system you want, or I, I don't mean system, the setting that you want, then make it your own. Just do what you want with it. Like uh, that's, that is the creativity and the hobby and the narrative gaming that is entirely up my alley. And that's really the core behind Brutality as well. So I don't mean this to be a six minute plug for Brutality, but this was the letter and I'm not going to ignore Mario. Okay. Anyway, thanks for um, writing in Mario. And by the way, one last plug. This is an actual plug. The rule book will be on sale in June, and it's got double the upgrades. So you've you've got a lot to be excited about, Mario. Anyway, thanks for writing in. Let's go on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? On tonight's edition of Want That or Want That Not, we are covering an oldie but a goodie. Once again, we're covering some of the archives of older models and seeing how they still hold up. So we are talking about the Tau Crutox Rider. If you're not familiar with what this is, you know what a Crute is, right? It's one of the troops, one of the mercenaries, one of the minor races. The Tau has conquered, and now they create... They use them for troops and whatnot. Well, the Crutox Rider is a Crute on the back of a Crutox. And the Crutox is... Let's say it's got the face of a crute. It's about as tall as a crute person is, while when it's on all fours, and it's got very large front arms like a gorilla. So it's essentially you take a crute gorilla and strap a machine gun onto its back, and then the crutox, I mean the crute, is standing on its buttocks. The crutox's buttocks. So. How does this hold up? Well, I really, really love the sculpt of this. The for some reason I've always loved the faces of the krut to begin with. Their huge underbite and the way they've got those spines out the back of their head. This guy's actually wearing gloves, which I was not really aware that krut wear gloves usually. But there's a couple really interesting touches to this. So this model the. Krut is actually wearing gloves, fingerless gloves, which is a really neat touch. But also, these, I hate to say realism, but there's a lot of interesting things about this model that I don't think they had to do, but I think it's really cool that they did do. For instance, you've got these straps, like backpack straps, over the shoulders of this Krutox, and the machine gun is on its back. Well, even if it's a laser gun, who cares? Either way, it's a giant gun on its back. Now, you feel like that would actually irritate the Krutoks over time, because it's on a, I think it's a pinnel, pinnel mounted? It's essentially on a pivot point where the Krut can shoot with it in all directions. And what they did is they put a piece of tattered cloth under the gun, under the straps, so it wouldn't hurt the Krutoks back. And this might sound stupid to you, and you're like, what are you even talking about, Pempcron? But... That is the sort of details that I think is really, really cool for a model where they actually try to take into consideration some of the realism behind it. And where the gun, like, so they've got these straps over the crewtox's shoulders. They've got a cloth under it to kind of buffer him. Then they've got a little stand, and it looks like they've got, like, a leather... Um, beer koozie essentially like a loop of fabric and the gun slides through that loop and that's what holds the gun in place once again this this leather is tattered it's in pieces and something that's also really cool if you look really close underneath the gun in this beer koozie is actually a bone sticking out where they've shoved a bone in it and the bottom of the beer koozie is a jawbone of something, like a human or whatever. So once again, this is a bunch of really minor details that I feel give a lot more to the model. There's spots of color that you could throw in there and and things like that. There's some places where you can add some creativity, and otherwise it's kind of a boring model. It's the dude on the back of a gorilla, essentially. And uh, I really like how they've done this. There's apparently, it almost looks like binoculars on his back. It's hard to tell in this picture, but it looks like there's a pair of binoculars or something, something dangling from this gun mount. And it's just, it's really well done. I have nothing bad to say about this model at all. It's a really cool looking model. It looks like it's on a 40 millimeter base, which is a little surprising. Uh, It might be on a 50, but it looks like a 40 millimeter base. And yes, it's supplied with a 40 millimeter base. I was correct. Now here's something that's interesting though. I don't play Tau. In fact, I really don't like Tau. In fact, I really don't like people who play Tau. Joking, kind of not joking. Uh, <laughs> but the so I don't really know what role the Krutox rider plays in the army. Is this a, a unit upgrade? Is this a heavy weapons option? What is this? I'm assuming because I don't think there's any other Krut units in the in the army besides just Krut That I'm assuming a Crutox Rider is an upgrade like a heavy weapons platform. And that's pretty cool. The interesting thing about this is is you get one Crutox Rider and it has a very peculiar price. For the extremely specific price of $24.75, this Crutox Rider is all yours. And I don't know how to feel about this because if this is like a heavy weapons option. And I don't mean a unit upgrade, I mean an actual unit $24 for one dude. He better be spitting some game. He better be spitting some fire here. Because $25 just for this I think is a bit pricey. Um, If he's a unit upgrade, then it's really pricey. I mean, can you imagine taking your tactical squad of Space Marines and spending $24.75 for the missile launcher, dude? I mean, it just seems really expensive for that. So I'm hoping that this is like an elite unit or whatever you know heavy weapon or something like that and not just a unit upgrade so that actually is going to that's going to color my opinion of this model first off ignoring price this is definitely a want that model it's got character it's got a lot of minor details that give you options for customization it's a really cool looking model and I've already said I'm a fan of the Crute look and this Crutox. Talks is essentially a giant Kurt. Love it. Love everything about it. But, if this is a model upgrade, a unit upgrade such as a missile launcher, for $24.75, no thank you. I'm done. That's it. Uh, I'm not paying that price. If this is a special unit and can actually do something really good and is multi-wounds, which I'm sure it is, and all of that, then $24? Okay. If this is like a... I don't even know what you'd consider it. It's almost like a... Um, if this has the same damage output as a Thunderfire Cannon, then sure, $24.75, whatever. I highly, highly doubt this has the damage output of a Thunderfire Cannon. But here's to hoping, right? Otherwise, this is a beautiful model. I love it. But the price is really, really kind of dragging me down on it. If this was 15 bucks, I would buy it all day long. 20 bucks, you're really pressing your luck. I would probably say no to 20 bucks. 2475, that's far too much for me, unless it's a really kick ass unit, which I'm kind of doubting. Most people crap on Kurt to begin with and say that they're not worth taking, so I'm willing to bet that I'm going to be disappointed if I look up the Battlefield role of this model. But the model itself is beautiful, and I do want it, unless the Things that I stated are true. <laughs> all in all, that's a one that for me. I'll just assume the best out of it. Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right, becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right. It's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Cron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with PimpCron. And since it's time for Real Talk with the Pimpcron, we will dive right into the main topic of this show, which is what I have in my hand is one of my prized possessions. It is before my time, it is before I ever played Warhammer. And what I hold in my hand is the Ch- Warhammer 40k chapter approved annual 2003. Now, I did not start this hobby until about 2009, so this is prior to me. This is, what, third edition, I think? I believe it's third edition. And um, this is a pretty awesome book. This is one of my favorite things that I've happened to pick up. At store number two, for those of you who know, our second store that our game store was in, they had a bunch of old stuff, because they had a Warhammer group around this time, like the early 2000s, which eventually petered out, and then our group came in like seven, nine years later, or something like that. And they had all this stuff. I mean, I, I literally bought the um, oh, it's gonna escape me now, and it's gonna piss me off. The um, it's like 13 soldiers for Imperial Guard, and it was a metal box, and it was a bunch of uh, Schaefer's Last Chancers is what it's called. And Schaefer's Last Chancers, for those of you who don't know, were a special unit in Imperial Guard, and back then they had a bunch of special little units that were named and had a bunch of named characters in them. And Schaefer's Last Chancers had their own rules in, I believe it was 3rd edition uh, Imperial Guard Codex. And it was really cool. There was 9 different models, or, or 13 different models, and one was like this Native American guy with knives, there was this like, really nerdy doctor. There was a woman in a skirt, and she had some sort of weapon, I forget. There was also, like, a commissar or an officer with this bandaged up hand, and they just had, like, one guy had, like, a flamer, one had a melt gun it was... One, I think, had a sniper rifle. That might have been the woman in the skirt. But anyway, it was really cool. It had a lot of character to it, and I actually bought that brand new in the box, And even at that time, it was very, very old. And I was able to just take it right off the shelf and buy it. That's where I also bought, me and Bliggity Blam Steve bought uh, boxes of Epic 40K, the starter set boxes, still in the shrink wrap. I bought a bunch of old Blood Bowl models still in the shrink wrap. And things like that. So among all these things was this Chapter Approved book. And I was like, huh, I wonder what this is. I was com- It was completely new to me. Chapter Approved was a column or a section in the White Dwarves back in the day. And I think occasionally they still do Chapter Approved in the White Dwarves now. But I'm not really a White Dwarf subscriber, so I'm not positive. But I'm pretty sure they don't have it as a regular column at the very least. And what they would do is throw in all sorts of new material that was kind of unofficial. I don't, not positive you could actually take it to like a tournament, but they offered all sorts of new units and new ways to play and things like that for your armies, special characters and whatnot. So what they would do, and they only did this, I think for a couple years, two, three years, something like that. I think that's what Steve told me that, um... There's only like a 2003, 2004, 2005, or or something of that nature. And what they would do is collect all of the chapter-approved things from the White Dwarf and put publish them in a once-yearly book. And I'm going to try and look at the ISBN on this. And it was 1999, I think it was. And it was really cool. So why am I so excited about this? Well, first off, they had a bunch of stuff... In it that was um, more pertinent to back in the day than it is now. They had a bunch of codex updates for, um, I'm looking through here now, the codex Space Marines, codex Armageddon, codex Orcs, Blood Angels, codex Catechins. Uh, Eldar, Codex Craftworld Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Dark Angels had Codex updates. They had a bunch of hobby information like City Fight Tactica, Heavy Metal Showcase, towel Color Schemes, Painting Cast Space Marines, Club Network Contacts. Now, this is in the somewhat early days of the internet, so that's kind of cool that on page 120 of this book, they had Club Network Contacts. They also had a bunch of lists of tournament winners, and even some letters where people wrote in, which was all very cool. But that's still not the juicy part I want to get to. They also had miscellaneous rules for like trial assault rules because they were going to go into the new edition soon. So they wanted to try this stuff out and get people's feedback. They had minor psychic powers. They had um, rules for transport vehicles and things like that. It looks like they were reworking the rules for the Emperor's Champion for Black Templar. In addition, they had a Q&A section and some, some scenarios for City Fight, and just stuff like that. What I really, really want to get into, and which is the reason why I originally bought this book from the old store, is that they had new additions and new rules and even new units that you could add to your armies, which was pretty cool. The very first one in this book is Feral Orcs, which is pretty cool. Awesome. So feral orcs essentially are orcs that don't, you know, use a lot of technology. They are not well organized. They're like the tribal orcs that you see, which is, from my understanding, part of the development of a clan culture is they have to start out as savage boys or feral orcs. And it goes into some of this. It was, um, they talk about how they're spored in the wild and they slowly develop into what we know of as orcs. But it, it's not overnight. They've got some things that they have to do ahead of time, and that's just how they naturally develop. So in this, they've got a bunch of war gear that feral orcs can use, and one of the things is a cyborg. which essentially a cybor... If you remember the old boar boys for orcs in Warhammer Fantasy or Age of Sigmar, they are cybor boys. So the pigs... Now... Also, you know, you're going to say, where, where on earth did you get these models, okay? You're going to keep in mind, this was a t- different place in time 17 years ago, okay? This is when people were expected to hobby and model and kit bash and make their own stuff. So, no, they did not actually sell cyborg boys, but they did sell boar boys, and you're just supposed to, like, cybernetically enhance them. But essentially, they were treated as cavalry and... ...in the old rules back then, which had a a slew of different rules. The only difference is that they got extra attacks in close combat... ...because the boar could also attack... And they treated dangerous terrain as even more dangerous because it's explained that the cyborgs like to headbutt rocks and trees. So back in the day, if you're running, if you were charging through difficult terrain or you're running through dangerous terrain, you roll a dice, and on a one, that model is slain. You roll it for every single model that does this. Well, they would be slain on a one through three, which seems very deadly for the poor cyborg boys. Fun fact, I actually have a unit of Cyborg Boys that were expertly assembled and painted by someone else, and I bought them, and I love them, and I treat them as my orc bikers. So essentially, you end up with a bunch of points and stats for a bunch of new units that are specifically for feral orcs. So you have the war boss as normal, but he has a couple little tweaks. He can take an actual bodyguard retinue of either a knob or what they call a pig dock but a pig dog is essentially a pain boy. It's got a few minor tweaks, but it's essentially a pain boy. They also have weird boys. And their elite units are brutes, which just have sluggas and choppas. And trappas, which can actually set booby traps and they can infiltrate. That is pretty, pretty cool. And they could move through difficult terrain really easily. They weren't slowed down by it. And things like that. But each unit of your trappas could set three traps. And they came in the forms of a bang trap, a firebomb, or a punji pit. And this is just super cool. This gives you so many ideas on how to make those little tokens for your different booby traps. So the first one is a bang trap. It's strength 7, and it's AP 3, which technically would be n- minus 4 AP currently. Uh the AP was treated differently back then, but essentially AP3 would ignore anybody's save that was 3 or higher. So Space Marines would take no save for this. But the bang trap would essentially just kill one person. You rolled a wound, strength 7 versus toughness whatever, and it would kill one model in the unit. That's kind of neat. Um the fire one is you would place the large I'm sorry, the small blast marker over the center of the hole and any models that are under that were automatically hit. And uh, that was strength four, AP five. So anybody with a five up saver or higher, it would just ignore that and do a damage. Then you had the pungy pit, which is pretty cool. So you place the small blast marker so that the center hole is over the model that triggered the device, and any models fully under the blast are hit automatically. And then they had rules for if you were partially under the blast or not. But essentially, it was strength six, uh, strength three, AP six. And it also counted as difficult terrain, which of course was a bigger thing back then. It reduced your movement, but I'm not gonna get into old rules. Now my knowledge and recollection of the prior editions is a little foggy, so a lot of these units don't seem to be special in any way. There's the stick bombers, and they have a slugger, close combat weapon, frag and crack stick bombs. And there's hunters, the have shooters. There's wild boys, which they essentially don't they have a club and a dagger like a lot of the stuff they have different points so clearly they they have slightly different stats but a lot of these seem similar but what I'm guessing is is they're somewhere lost in translation there must be something that's different about them but they seem very similar so you've got Stick bombers, hunters wild boys mad boys now mad boys are pretty cool actually at the beginning of Every orc activation, at the beginning of each turn, you had to roll a dice for each Mad Boy unit. On the roll of a 1, they became mad and had to roll on the D6 Mad Boy's Disturbed Behavior Table. So, if you rolled a 1 on this table, you would roll a dice for every single person in the unit, and they would have to hit and wound their self, and they could kill their own people in their own unit which is pretty freaking hilarious. I think uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles actually used to have rules similar to this as well. Then on a 2 or 3, they counted as pinned, which, once again, that's terminology from an older edition. Probably they couldn't move in Assault or something like that. On the roll of a 3 through 4, which is actually funny because this has a a roll of a 1, a roll of 2 or 3, or a 3 or 4, or 6. So there's a bit of a typo in this. So I guess if you roll a 5, nothing happens. <laughs> and if you roll a 3, 2 things happen. I don't know. But essentially it's a 4 or 5. They have to fall back and retreat from combat. On a 6, they get an additional D6 inches of movement. But they have to move straight towards the closest enemy unit. Which is pretty, pretty hilarious. They also have their own type of truck. Which is called a, a Junker. What's it called? A junka truck. And this is also pretty cool. They have a Squiggoth as a heavy support, which a lot of the you will probably know what a Squiggoth is from Forge World. But because you were expected to make your own models, they had three different points levels with three different sizes. And I just love this. They even had three different stat amounts. So for 40 points, you could make a Squiggoth, custom Squiggoth, that was up to six inches tall. For 50 points, you could have a big Squigoth, which was over 6 inches, but up to 9 inches tall. Then, you could have a massive Squigoth that was over 9 inches tall for 60 points. And they essentially were um, just a a giant... trans I mean, essentially what Forge World made them. They have the Howda up on top of its back where it could transport boys and things like that. So, it could carry up to 20 boys. And it was just very very cool and matter of fact they have an ad- I don't know if it's adorable or if it's sad but, but they, they have a massive squig in a picture that someone made and it is clearly kitbashed and custom made and I think I'm going to settle on it being pretty cool I don't know what they made the model out of but it's essentially it's a big dinosaur with the giant howdah on top of it and there's a guy on its back that's whipping it, and man, they had so much character in those old editions with the the old um, old rules and things like that. They were much more hobby-oriented, even more than they are now, but times, they are a-changing. So that's it for the Feral Orcs, and I have always loved that. There was actually a time I used them in some games just for fun, and I mean, I can't recall how they worked because we're talking a long time ago, but it was still pretty cool to have Feral Orcs. The next unit is Gaunt's Ghosts. If you are a fan of that whole book series, they have... um, You had to take a Commissar Gaunt as a headquarters unit. But they had elites, they had master snipers, they had hardened veteran squads, their troops were the Tanith uh, infantry platoons and infantry squads, and they had all these custom-made people. It's pretty cool. Um, So Colonel Commissar Gaunt actually has his own stats in here. Colonel Korbeck has his own stats. Chief Chief Medical Officer Dorden has his own stats. And when I say stats, I mean, you know, points, war gear, special rules. Like, Korbeck has a natural-born leader, and he Im- improves the leadership of people around him, and it's just so, so cool. Um, there's Bryn Milo, I don't know who that is. Master Sniper Larkin, and they even have all these custom-made models for these people as well, which is just really, really awesome. I I love all of this. Now, I'm going to gloss over that a little bit, because I'm not going to get into the specific rules of every one of these named characters they made from Gaunt's Ghost, but the next section in here is the Orc Hunters for Imperial Guard. So, essentially, you had HQ, Elites, Troops, Fast and Heavy, and each one of these people, they had different war gear, where they could actually take The Sluggas or the Shootas or the choppas or whatever. And they could actually take Orc Wargear for these Imperial Guardsmen. Now that is freaking interesting. They were also Jungle Fighters. So they had several different um, uh, abilities for that. And Sentinels had some different abilities. And it's just... They had so much character to all this stuff. And I love being able to this reminds me a lot of like the fandexes, my buddy Robert, um over in the UK. He's got the fandexes pages and where they make well, fandexes for all these different armies. And this Orc Hunters just reminds me of it, because you're kit bashing the codexes and adding weapons for this or weapons for that and um different rules and like, he's made whole codexes for all sorts of armies, and it's, it's really cool. Which, this now, this section of the book is they're getting into different stuff. They've got Death Corps of Krieg rules, which I'm assuming was not a thing at the time. They have Savlar Chem Dogs, and they have some pretty neat units. They have a Chem Rider, which they're riding these weird. Uh, creatures and they've got um, chem dog infantry and they're expected to all have like these gas masks and and things like that where you know they chem dogs, I'm assuming they come from a world with a bunch of um, chemicals in the air and things like that. And they've got all these pictures. that's another thing is they used to kit bash all the time. They would take one model and they would show you, oh here's what the metal model looks like with green stuff and then here's what the finished product is. And they would always show all of that. It was very, very inspiring. I keep a lot of old white dwarves. They even have rules for Elysian drop troops. And all the special rules for those. Their sentinels are different. They have special scenarios where they're dropping in from this way or that way. And they have a whole force org for all the stuff. It's just, it's really pretty amazing. They had essentially kind of like stratagems as well. They had a bunch of different city fight scenarios just for um, Imperial Guard in here. When if you're using any of these armies, like the K- Slavic, I just said Slavic. What is it? The Slav Ken dogs. I already forgot their name. It is Savlar Savlar Ken dogs. And they also have Crute mercenary special rules. So they wanted you to be able to take an entire army of Crute, which sounds crazy. I know, but this is a really, really neat way to play this game. If you're just using Cruit Mercenaries. So, they had the Master Shaper as the HQ. They had the Shaper Council as an HQ. They had Headhunter Kindred for Elites. They had Stalker Kindred for Elites. Your troops were your normal Cruit Carnivore Kindred. You had Vulture Kindred, which sounds really awesome. I don't know if they actually flew or not. But, um... Then they had Crute hound packs and Tracker kindred. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of people say that they would love to make a entirely Crute army, and I've even seen some people do it, where they will kitbash different things and you know use Crute in place of Fire Warriors or whatever in order to you know kitbash and give them the different weapons and things like that, and just make a complete Crute army instead of having what, three units? They've got Krut Hounds, Krut, and like the heavy weapons, and there's also Krut that rides on the back of somebody, or something like that. But anyway, this book is chock full of all these really cool things. Now, unfortunately, the thing that makes me sad is that these aren't really applicable anymore, because obviously points have changed quite a bit, and the rules have completely changed. And, you know... Things like that. I mean, it's funny to see an actual weapon skill versus just like a 3-up to hit in in Melee. Actually seeing weapon skill 4, weapon skill 3, and things like that from old editions. It's nice to see it, but it's also kind of... I don't know if it's sad. I guess it's just more nostalgic to see all this. But I say they bring back Chapter Approved and the Chapter Approved Annual... It was one of the coolest books ever, and if they did this now, can you imagine Feral Orc Rolls for 8th edition or ninth edition 40k? Can you imagine doing the, um, uh, I forgot them again, the Chem Dogs, whatever they were called, the, the Savlar, Savlar Chem Dogs, and um, it's just, it would be really, really cool. So I think they should start doing this stuff, and just admit that it's uno- unofficial, you know, it doesn't have to be tournament legal or anything like that. Even in this book, there's the question, is this, you know, official? And he goes, yes and no, is his response. He says, yes, it's official if you want to play games, but a tournament organizer obviously could just deny your use of this. And... Uh, Anyway, I just wanted to share this with you. It's one of my favorite books. I look through it to look at the pictures. I look through it as a blast from the past because when I started in fifth edition, a lot of these things were still left over from third or fourth edition. A lot of these rules were still applicable, and uh, it's it's just cool to look through this stuff. So I am going to start a petition that we need to do chapter-approved annuals again and have all of this really, really fluffy stuff and give you opportunities and reasons to kitbash. Well, I think that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for my Patreon sponsors, and I love you all. I'll see you next week.